Ready for the interview And if you get a cue Live on the laptop Watch what I'm gonna do Welcome to the show Let them know we got a point of view Hey, yo Let's have a combo Say what you feel Be real, that's the motto Real talk pronto Doctor D, PhD Hit the intro Hold up, wait Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals all right, Estelle. So we finally made it here, and uh, you look lovely. I love the jacket, by the way. Very nice. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. nice style. Blue suede. Suede. Yeah. Interesting. Blue <laughs> suede jacket. Blue suede jacket. Where are you from? What's the? I can't. What's the accent? It's Australian, but I've been in the U.S. now for eight years. So occasionally, I hear myself with this little American, but I'm trying to keep my Australian accent. Don't let it die. Don't let yeah. the Australia die. <laughs> so what brought you over to the U.S.? Yeah, that's a it's a good question. It, to be perfectly honest, a boy, uh, my oh, husband now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was working in Australia. We met in Australia. He's American and I followed him back to the U.S. And at the time I was working for an American company. And so it was really easy for me to make a transfer and yeah. uh, try it out. Awesome. Man, you must really have liked this person. <laughs> yes. It's a big move. This is a good one. This it's is a good, a good one. one. What yeah. a beautiful thing. Yeah. That's a really beautiful yeah. thing. So tell yeah. me, I was intrigued by like the work, you know, in your PhD. Tell me a little bit about your education. I'm fascinated by like your training for that. Yeah, so I have a PhD in population genetics and spent the early part of my career in academia, um, you know, years, years at university studying. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't regret it at all. And, you know, now I'm a founder and people, I think, often think of, you know, the found, the classic founder stereotype as people that, you know, drop out of a PhD program and go and start a company. Yeah. I actually finished my PhD. <laughs> uh, and I think in a lot of ways, it's, it's set me up with a different framework and, and in not in a bad way for kind of being a founder. But um, population genetics at its core is uh, this idea of the, the mathematics behind our genetics. So genetics, mm. we inherit from our parents, you know, half from mom, half from dad. Um, and the, the math behind that across generations and then across populations is really, uh, is really robust. And so you can do now, we're at the earliest stages of kind of being able to study genetics at a population level, the technology. Mm. And I'm happy to talk about that if we want to talk about Yeah, I want to know, you know all about this. <laughs> this is weird. This is crazy stuff. Uh, yeah. So what's happened in the technology space for genetics over the last decade or two is just amazing. We're at the dawn of a new age of kind of what we can do and what we can learn about genetics of humanity and how that impacts human health. But my background in population genetics was looking at across the population, how do our genetics play out in terms of protecting us from disease? Uh, how does it play out in terms of health, 
how do we think about modeling that in populations with the ultimate goal that we improve medicine and we get more predictive you know our genetics is is a really important factor in our health across our whole lives uh, i mean there's a lot to break down here <laughs> yeah what have we learned so far about population genetics yeah, what's the takeaway? The overall, let's go macro. What's the macro picture let's, that we've The macro takeaway is um, it's way more complex than we first thought it was. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> and there's always more questions after you learn something. There's I, always more questions. hundred percent. Yeah. So, you know, in the early days of the Human Genome Project, this was a project, a global project to sequence the first human genome. Correct. Uh, and, you know, they poured billions of dollars into that and, and the press and the media and kind of everybody's minds at that time was once we do this, we will understand human health. You're full stop. <laughs> <laughs> what a joke. <laughs> right, right. And then, you know, even in the, in the kind of five to 10 years after that, the early scientific studies were the assumption was that it was so predictive, like you find the genetic signature and then suddenly you you know that disease, you you know how to treat it, you you can map it in, in people. Um, and what we found was, you know, over, like I say, 10 years or so plus is that it's, A, the genetics is way more complex. So many of these diseases, particularly the ones that we all kind of suffer from, the most common diseases, things like, you know, uh, heart disease, diabetes, um, you you name it, even cancer. Uh, It's not not just like a simple, these are the the three gene signatures that that result in the disease. It could be thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of kind of signatures across your genetic makeup that all together kind of provide you with a risk factor. Like some people might be more at risk of a disease, other people might be less at risk of a disease. And then there's a whole nother layer on top of that with the environment. So, you know, do you smoke? Do you exercise regularly? Do you sleep well? Like, are you... Uh, living in an area of high pollution? How do you think about your mental health? Like all of these things impact the the diseases that we get kind of just as much as our genetics in some cases. Uh, And so it's what's really exciting for me, uh, and this kind of touches on what I'm doing now at Trellis Health, is we are at the earliest stages of medicine becoming a data science. Mm. So we're measuring all of this about ourselves today, whether it's in wearables or the things that we're tracking digitally. And we can we can test our genetics, we can get genetic testing done in a really accessible way. Um, and we're getting electronic medical records, like all of those pieces together are building a really rich picture of a person. And when you think about how we could potentially do that at scale, um, we're at the earliest stages, like I say, of, of medicine becoming a data science. So we're going to see huge advances in this area over the next decade or so. Okay. <clears throat> this is, this is like right in my wheelhouse. This is like the stuff. I mean, I'm in fitness, health and wellness, <clears throat> but I love science and technology and all that. But I want to back up on the complexity aspect of here. I like to take my time and learn. So yeah. what you talk about the signatures and stuff. 
is it daunting to see how complex we are and go, wow, there's like way more here. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's beautiful. I, I mean, it's something that when you think about our bodies and like humans, we are the most complex systems on this planet. Uh, you know, the human, you talk about the complexity of like neural networks and AI ML, they're just scratching the surface of what our brains can do. And then you, you know, all of the biological systems, like this body, this is the most complex system on earth. So I, I, I lean into that. I, I think that, you know, maybe one day we get there and, and we truly can be predictive about it, but it's, um, it's such a complex, beautiful system. I mean, at this point, it may be the most complex thing in the solar system. <clears throat> you never right. know. I mean, it's not I'm like not we know. not making any judgments about what's out there. <laughs> we don't even know what's out there. We don't even, can't even find microbial life. I mean, it's yeah. like, so yeah. I mean, I, what does that beauty tell you about humans and our, our capacity to mm-hmm. um, be bigger than we are? It feels like we're, there's something about us that's even more special because of all this complexity, you know? Yeah. Um, I totally agree. I I totally agree. And and the sad thing for me, I think, is in a lot of ways people don't stop and and kind of acknowledge this and and think about this, and particularly in relationship with your own body and your own health. Mm. Like if you could really see and understand where you sit in a in a life journey in your body in your health if you could really see and connect with that would that change behaviors would that change the way the relationship that people have yes. with themselves yeah um what's the best way to do that like have you talked about ways to like create that feeling for people because people are very aesthetically um yeah. motivated by things you know and from a psychological perspective, I was I was also a psych major uh, in college. Uh, it was psych and genetics. Yeah, um, interesting. Yeah, but from a psychological standpoint, um, people are generally terrible at predicting the future and kind of putting themselves horrible. Horrible. <laughs> no, we're terrible Horrible. at predicting the future. Horrible. We have so many biases, so many kind of the ways that the the errors and the way that our, our kind of brain works. And, and it's, you know, a lot of them are evolutionary protective for us. Like they're there for a reason. But um, when you think about health, it's so much easier for people to make the decisions that are easiest, that are right in front of them. Yeah instead of really kind of working against that and and seeing a longer term bigger picture you know this is the same reason that people struggle to save for retirement or struggle to your health is a similar kind of thing and unless that's real and concrete for a person on a day-to-day basis it's very challenging to get them to kind of see that and you know myself included right like we're all we we all have these biases but uh, something that that I have a, a thesis around is this idea of of seeing that. So, and, yes. and once you see it, 
and you can kind of feel a sense of ownership over it, it makes the decisions that you make on a day-to-day basis have that much more, you feel more responsibility for those decisions mm-hmm. because you can directly see what's going to play out or what's modeled or where you are on a track. And so uh, one of the challenges that I think we have in healthcare today is that we can't see all of that information. We, we, we don't, see how we're on a track towards diabetes or, or heart disease or or these kinds of things. And, and when you really kind of sit down with a person and say, this is, you know, this is you, this is what it looks like. This is your trajectory. Uh, these are the changes that you can make and, and give people that agency and ownership over that. Um, you know, it's like, uh, renters and uh people homeowners Homeowners like if you're (laughs) right if you're a renter in a place you're never going to take as good a care of that like (laughs) you you know when you're doing your christmas decorations and wrapping garlands you might not care about the the tape or the sticky or the put a nail in something like find the quick fix to do what you want to do if you're the homeowner and you know that's your property and that's your house you're going to take better care of it. Uh, and it's the same thing with our bodies and our health. Yeah, that's such a great analogy. Like mm-hmm. people mostly live like they're renting their body. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> right, and then not that they have ownership of it. But it sounds like to me you're talking about like if people had predictive knowledge of where their health was going type of thing. But it's funny, it's kind of like maybe maybe around, but it's like sometimes genetics, you can test for diseases you may get like it's like Huntington disease. Like you can you can find out if you're going to have this very debilitating thing. Yeah. But then there's the element of like, do you want to know or not type of thing? Right. Like if you and sometimes even if you know stuff, people still don't do the right thing, you know? Yeah. And uh. You know, I, my stance on this is that I think it's up to the individual to make those decisions. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's we shouldn't be in a position where we're withholding information or mm. making it harder to, for people to access information if they want it. But at the same time, the flip side, you don't want to be telling somebody something that they don't actually, you know, want to have that information yeah. Uh, they don't, there's nothing that you can do with it. I mean, Alzheimer's is an, is another really good example today. Yeah. We don't have a good cure for Alzheimer's. And so would you want to know mm. some people, the, the resounding answer is yes. I 100% would want to know. Um, but for, for others, it's, it's not, and it's, it's also not to say that we won't have cures for any of these diseases in future as well. So, yeah. um, but it comes back down to ownership and like the individual's right and consent to to live their life the way that they want in their body and have access to that information that's going to empower them to do that. You think that like wearables are kind of a one of our first steps in trying to understand our health, <clears throat> like the data and the metrics, because it just, there's a weird relationship with wearables, too, because a lot of people have it but they don't even know what the information means. And yeah. there's no application, behavioral. It, it's it's supposed to be on some level of behavioral intervention, but it often doesn't bear out like that. Yeah. Know? I have a wearable watch and I- At the R ring. <laughs> right, right. I um I haven't actually looked in, in the app in weeks, but I wear <laughs> it 
24 <laughs> hours a day. I mean, my data is, yeah, it's just, is calculate. just like being, <laughs> it's just there. Um, no, I think it's a really good point that you bring up. And firstly, I don't think wearables sit by themselves in, you know, this magical cure, just like genetics doesn't, or yeah. any one of these things doesn't by itself, but in collection, when you start putting the pieces together. And today, I think we have a lot of these different fragmented pieces, but they're not put together in a really useful way. And, you know, another thing I, I say is that the data by itself is not enough. Like people, very few people like actually care about data. It might be, they might be curious, you know, they look at right. whatever Apple health steps and, and, you know, that's, that's, nice and interesting but uh it's it's not the the data piece is the starting point not the end point uh and so a lot of these tools and things we have to take it one step further um and really kind of provide insights more concrete personalized insights for people like what is that what are you, what's the next step yeah, I think, I mean, I think you can go in a, in a lot of different steps, but, um, and I want to switch gears a little bit, like just broader than wearables alone, yeah. but um, so you know, Trellis Health, you know, one of the ideas or what we are building core to what we're building is this idea of all your data with you, uh, super mobile. And so if in that world, if all your data is with you, you can be empowered to say you're going for an annual checkup. Um, we would analyze all of that data, kind of piece it all together, put together a summary of that for you to take into a 10 minute appointment that you have with your doctor, typically at an annual checkup. And be like, you know what, Here, here's the top three things that you're doing and here's where you fit in you know a population of risk based on maybe you have a family history of heart disease maybe that's something that you need to watch out for and maybe you're stressed and not sleeping well and diet is impacted and that is accelerating that disease progression by 10 years and you can have a conversation with your doctor about that in real time like is that is that more concrete for a person than just like looking at their sleep when they wake up in the morning and forgetting it the next month when they look yeah. at their sleep again? It's fascinating. <clears throat> I feel like something has to change because yeah. the statistics of how unhealthy our planet at this point, but especially the United States, it's, it's staggering. Yes. How and the trajectory seems to be getting worse, not getting yes. better. <clears throat> so, like, I think that like the crux of it is like, how do you get people to care about themselves? But it's yeah. also an individual choice. Like, if somebody yeah. is like, I'll just, I don't care, I want to do whatever I want. <clears throat> it's individual agency, but like on a large population scale, it feels like it's not going well. Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. So like if you tell somebody, for instance, like, oh, if you do this, you'll have a 10 percent chance of like living longer or not dying young. A lot of people don't care about that. Like they just don't care. They especially don't care about other people's <laughs> aspect of that. Yeah, like, it's, oh, all this pop, yeah. all these people will live longer. Anyways, it's not me. <laughs> that was thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, these are these are really deep questions. Yeah. So we could 
talk a lot about, um, you know, I think we have to make it easy for people. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> like, that's hard in healthcare. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of friction and like people having to do things. And, you know, I think of um, motivation. So you've got motivation, how motivated is a person to like really kind of take care of themselves. And that's not static through our whole lifetime. That right. goes up and down as we go through these kind of various health journeys or the way that we're feeling or whatever, this motivation goes up and down. Um you've then got friction. Like how easy is it? Like if you're super motivated, yeah, it doesn't really matter how hard it's going to be. You're going to do it anyway. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of like, you know, quantified self amateur athletes, these people yeah. that really care about their health, they're going to do what it takes. Yeah. Um, but for the average person, they're not that motivated. And so it has to be much, much easier for them to take <laughs> little actions, micro actions. Uh, oh, is it uh, atomic habits uh, yeah. is fantastic for this but like it's like how do we make it as easy as possible for a person and and match that friction with like how motivated they are yeah i actually very big into that concept <clears throat> the concept of friction even in multiple aspects whether working with clients and exercise you got friction of different services and stuff but also the friction of actually going from content you know contemplating to doing something to having the action of it and removing yeah. that friction piece is a large part of yeah. getting somebody to start a journey is like, what are the barriers of entry for that? So at Trellis Health, like how can you make it even easier for people to feel like, okay, this matters to me. So it's one thing to carry the information with you, but mm -hmm. what's the other part that drives them to want to make mm -hmm. a change? Mm hmm. So, um, like I mentioned, you, your motivation for your health kind of like goes up and down throughout your life. Um, at Trellis Health, at least today, and, you know, we hope to scale this in many different ways so that it can be accessible to everybody. But to start with, we're starting with pregnancy as okay. a health journey. Okay. Uh, and the idea, there's several kind of layered ideas there. Part of it is my own personal experience with pregnancy uh, and kind of how shocking that was as a healthy person, just like thrown into to this medical system and what that experience was like. But pregnancy more broadly is this time in our lives and whether you're experiencing it yourself or indirectly as a partner, um, you take immense care of yourself and your body it's like it the psychology shifts and it becomes reflexive yeah uh and at the same time you know there's a lot of gaps in care we have one of the worst maternal mortality rates in the developed world you know there's a lot of improvement for outcomes there but you have a very very motivated um person to kind of like set this all up and we think of it as um, a health hub and then once it's set up it just exists there as a support for you and then you know eventually for that for that child then they are getting kind of a health resource and and health records and and this health information built from birth so when you talk about making it easier like 
they won't remember a time when they didn't have this all in one place at their fingertips and really be able to connect with that. Um, but I think you have to, you generally have to like find the wedges into a, into a person's life that makes sense, that make it easy and, um, and really focus on those. This is such a good point. I feel like, um, during pregnancy, the intensity of care is way different. Like the person who is pregnant cares so much more about their health and the, the child's health, maybe than more than they've ever cared before. And there's a different level of intensity there that mm -hmm. we should, we need to bottle, but it reminds me of the movie Gattaca a little yeah. bit. <clears throat> have you seen that movie? I have. I mentioned this movie a lot. It's yeah. like seared in my brain. This is like a big movie for me. I remember when I watched Gattaca and I, it, it like stoked something deep inside me about mm -hmm. health and wellness, about what if you just started that way? Like mm -hmm. you said, if you didn't know any different, it would be just part of your normal thing. This is how I care for myself type of yeah. thing. So I think you're on to something right about starting at the beginning of life. You know? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's hard when you create all these behaviors, you know? Right, right. And all the kind of dead weight in our, in our system, particularly with medical records, you know, it, it, your doctors only keep your medical records for maybe seven to 10 years, yeah. and then they can delete them. They can, you know, burn them, whatever, shred them. Um, and you move, like I've moved, I have my re medical records across multiple states in the US and in Australia. What happens if I get cancer in a few years or if I get you know, some other disease, wouldn't I want my entire life health history and that story you know, preemptively kind of ready to serve me in, in that you know, disease? Uh, journey that I'm I'm then facing and right now when you I, mean, I, I spend a lot of time in kind of the cancer space with the genetics and medicine and kind of every you know cancer is a genetic disease um, but by the time somebody has a cancer diagnosis you're racing against a clock you're trying yeah. to find any clue that you can get that's going to you know, give them a different treatment path or a different prognosis or give guidance to, to that. And, you know, clinicians at that time point are often like struggling to get information fast enough. So wouldn't it be nice if you already had that preemptively? Yeah, that would be interesting. It feels like you mentioned cancer. Again, I'm trying to make this parallel between what are these things that cause people to have more intensity about their health? So you talk mm -hmm. about pregnancy Mm -hmm. cancer people have a different intensity about their health yes. right how do you harness that intensity for your general population who maybe isn't going through something that are extreme more extreme like that because yeah. it's almost like it's just a very reactive situation based off of a life life-threatening issue or the beginning of life yes like yeah on some level i think also that people that are you know, relatively healthy or younger, they also don't see themselves dying either. Right. I I certainly didn't. I, I mean, I still don't really. I it, can't you even don't, imagine. Really? That. You don't? I think mean, <laughs> I definitely think about it. You think about it. I always dying? tell people you're going to be yeah. dead one day. You should think yeah. about that. I, you know what yeah. it is? I took a death and dying class in college. It was awesome. 
And wow. I had to um, volunteer at a nursing home when I was in college. And it really hit home to me like this is going to be over, you know, like yeah. and it changes how you look when you when you recognize that you're going to die, like regularly know this. It changes how you treat yourself. I really feel that. So I feel like a lot of people just don't think about them. They, they think it's not something for them. Like yeah. it's, it's weird. Yeah. Right. Like it's a hundred percent, hundred percent finality. Yes. But a lot of people don't see it that way. It's strange to me. It is. It is. I, I definitely think about myself aging and, and being yeah. sick. And, uh, you know, if you kind of um, imagine yeah. yourself as an old person, like what is that person going to look like? Are they going to be healthy? Are they going to be interesting? Yeah. Um, and it, it lights a certain fire underneath you. You're like, yeah. okay, I like, I don't want to be that version of me. Right. I want to be this version <laughs> of me. <laughs> you know what you, you know what you're, you know, being crazy. This will be crazy. Estelle, as if you could have a predictive technology that showed you what your life would look like if you went down these different trajectories. Like, here's the physical version of you. We project you're going to look like this. Yeah. We project you're going to look like this if you took care of yourself type yeah. of thing. And here are all the atomic habits and like right. tiny actions yeah. that you can take. Like, here's the one thing that you should start with. Yeah. Um, like if you had a good projection, like, OK, this is Estelle. 75 year old Estelle, like we have a pretty good idea. This is how you would look if you smoked regularly. Yeah, like we and they had like a physical projection of aging you like yeah. that would probably scare a lot of people into doing yeah. something different because I just think telling people you'll feel better. It doesn't work for people. They're it like, doesn't okay, work. And okay. and this is right. Like this is why people really have to like see it. Yes. To connect with it. We don't connect with you know stats or generic no. stuff or um you know somebody telling us something right. but if you see it if you see yourself and i think this goes back to like really developing that sense of ownership over those decisions yeah. like nobody's going to make those decisions for you you have to do it but like here's all the data and, and we've packaged yeah. it up in this really accessible way where you can imagine your future I think like think about <clears throat> okay, I was watching this crazy I was watching Trainwreck. It's about Woodstock 1999. And it's on Netflix. Highly recommend. Okay. It's very good. But I noticed like in the 90s, I you know, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. A lot of people were like, I was like, wow, there are no heavy people in this. Like it's weird. Yeah. But then they show have interviews of people 20 years later who were there, 20 and they don't look anything like themselves. And what would it be like if you could have a predictive technology that showed what you would look like 20 years from now? And let's say you looked way worse. I think that would strike something in someone. Yeah. You know, like yeah, somebody needs to create that like this. I mean, it may not be perfect that you would look exactly like this, but like if you look like shit, it might may, may not like be a good you may be like, wow, I don't want to look like that. <laughs> like it, it sounds vapid, like very vain, but that's what people associate things with you know yeah yeah and it's like these are natural human tendencies like it's we condition you know it's a human condition and we have to in terms of healthcare, find ways to work within that and make it easy like i mean i could go on and on 
on about all the problems in our healthcare system, but it's (laughs) not getting better. It's, you know, it's really not getting better. It's like at a tipping point of just getting exponentially kind of worse. And I also, you know, something that lays on me a lot is this idea of, um, transaction like our healthcare is getting more and more transactional especially with gen z and kind of how mobile they are and how fast things need to happen like they will see one doctor you know the fastest appointment available for that day for what they need to happen and they'll see you know a different urgent care clinic for a different problem that they have but there's no continuity of that it's not like you know, in my my mother and my grandparents' generation, you know, they had the family doctor that saw yeah. that person for their whole life and could say, could knew the history, knew the story, could say, look, you have a family history of this. Like, I've seen you, I've taken care of you for 20, 30 years. Like, you know, and, and really kind of have that relationship and conversation with them. But if we're going to have a transactional healthcare system, you don't get that. Uh, and so- there's no one to really kind of take responsibility for that lifetime care journey other than yourself. Yeah. I never thought about it that way. Actually, that's, that's interesting. You did have one person like, and you develop a relationship with the family Mm -hmm. doctor. This person was very intimately knew you from birth, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I never had that because I grew up in a military family. So it was just always different, but a lot of people I know had that. So at Trellis, what's what's the future? What's like the long term future of Trellis? Like what, what would be like the crazy thing? Like, wow, if this happened, this would revolutionize what we're doing. So at Trellis, like my vision is that in the future, we have all of our health data, like every piece of information that you could possibly imagine organized and at your fingertips. And it means that you can take that health journey with you wherever you go globally and people can contribute that data about themselves in a really ethical, privacy-preserving way to research. So we can really like understand at a global level, at a humanity level, how do we improve human health? Um, and so, you know, part of the the issue with with health care and health data is always uh, how is my data going to be used? You know, yeah. I, I this is super private. This is so personal. Um, you have to protect the individual in that. So it has to be private. Um, but if it's privacy preserving and, and really ethical about that, would people um allow their data to be used for research so we could turn medicine into a data science and can you talk more about that data science i think that there may be a lot of people who may be like turn it into data science like yeah like i like definitions on things yeah Uh, so um and then i guess a framework so physics any of the sciences that that we kind of think about have turned from an observational science. So in physics, early physics was looking at gravity, 
did the apple drop from the tree? Right. We see that and we can see the consequence of that. Physics today is vastly different. You know, we're modeling, we're looking at galaxies yeah, light holes, years yeah. away. <laughs> yeah. We have so much more understanding of how the universe works and our place in that. We can put rockets to space. We can land them, you know, the, the things that we can do today are so different and the system is complex, but it's because we have the algorithms and the math and the AI and the big data to support our knowledge. Medicine is at the earliest stages of this transition as a science. Uh, and so we've gone from, you know, does a person have a disease? Can we see a tumor? Uh, you know, we're looking at things. Can we observe something that's happening in a person's body um, to gradually getting better and better and more and more complex algorithms around that? Uh, but it's basically turning it into, you know, big data and, and complex like AI driven understandings of how our bodies work. And then to take it, sorry, to take it one step further, right? Can we be predictive? Yes. and personalized like end of one medicine for you in your body with all of this information this is your personalized care and and actions is there a future where okay let's say you're not at the doctor but you're just at your house or wherever and some technology says hey you're not on the right path here like or some alert system that says, you know, things are not going well. And it just tells you like regularly, like you're on a weird path here. Is that is that a part of the goal of this or not? And maybe I'm just throwing I'm throwing weird stuff out, you know. No, I'm, I, I welcome throwing weird stuff. I think it's really important to, to talk about like all of the ways that this yeah. could be used in future and, and try and understand that. Um, I, I do want to say that. I don't envision this replacing doctors at all. Sure. You know, yeah. I, the the place of that professional physician and caregiver in the system around that is is critical. It's a keystone uh, for human health. And so, but we need those people to be able to like in in the industry, right? They call it operating at the top of their license. Like yeah. today, they're just like typing stuff into a computer screen, and they don't yes. even look at you. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. right? What <laughs> We've if all in experienced the, <laughs> Right, right. And and they hate that as well. Yes. Like they're not, you know, they're they're a, a doctor because they care about human health and and like helping people, not just record keeping. Um, but you know, in that future, if you do have these kind of predictive data systems that that kind of sit under people and with people, the role of the physician, I think, becomes like interpreting that and, and yeah. like having that relationship with you again to kind of be a guide and, and, and interpret that and help translate that. And, uh, you know, all of the kind of um, they would be an expert in it as well. So. Yeah. I feel like there's something you know, I don't think you sit though. at home. Yeah, no, I, I think the doctor is obviously still necessary. But like I, I work with a lot of physicians, things of that nature, and they're usually woefully uneducated about anything other than their specialty. And especially with like lifestyle changes, whether it's sleep, nutrition, exercise. I think the future doctor needs to have a much better grasp on those mm -hmm. areas. 
because mm -hmm. often you're meeting someone, a doctor who is often in very poor physical health themselves and mental health. And that just seems to be a very bad recipe for healthcare. Yeah. And then they're not yeah. operating at the top of their license. They're not operating at the top of their health as well. Mm -hmm. It just, it mm -hmm. just seems like a weird system to me and like it has to change. I agree. Yeah, I really agree. I mean, it's like, in part, it's the human condition. We all suffer from the same kind of challenges yeah. in looking after our health and seeing and connecting with our health and, and the stresses that that profession is putting yeah. on people right now is not sustainable. It's you know, not. physician burnout is, uh, is an ever increasing problem. Um, yep. so yes, something has to change there. Um, and it's also education and the data to back it up. Like right now, a lot of it is the individual stories where people say, you know what, I made these lifestyle changes and it drastically improved my health in these ways. And we're doing some studies around that, but we're still in very early days because we haven't really had the data to, to really yeah. kind of like model it out yet. I think that's fascinating that something like this, we haven't had the data, but we have modeling and procedures for mapping space. Mm -hmm. Like we live on earth. <laughs> we don't, I feel like this should have been first versus people like, first. You no, know, people first. Well, I mean, I, listen, I'm big in this space. I'm all in the black holes and quasars. I love the James Webb telescope. But I mean, how about us? Like our health should be modeled first. Like everything should be thrown into that. I mean, it's pointless to look at space if you're in just bad health. And like, like yeah, right. with yourself, like, this is great out there. I'm doing horrible. Like, it just, it just, just doesn't, it's not logical to me. You know, you need alive and healthy humans to put yeah. on Mars. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What's, I don't understand like this lack of like pouring into health that like preventative, predictive and preventative health should be one of our biggest priorities in our planet. Completely. Like you were. Uh, yeah, you are 100 percent right? speaking my language. I don't know. I don't I mean, I care about what happened 13.9 billion years. I'm seeing a picture from 13.9 billion years in the galaxy. That's amazing. But it has zero application to me, like in my daily living. Zero. Like, yeah, we pouring into that. Like the predictive part, I think, is even more incredible, I think, because giving people a map of their help, like a real map, like, no, this isn't kind of like, maybe like, this is probably going to happen. Like, yeah, high percentage. Yeah, you know, yeah. And you are in control of that, right? Like, it's right. not like it's a destiny pre written in stone that you have no agency over. Yes. It's like, this is your life, you get one body, you get one shot. Like, we yeah. don't, I mean, you know, throw like other genres in here, but we don't live <laughs> in the metaverse yet. Right? We <laughs> We live here in the physical world and we have a body that we should take care of. Yeah. Do you ever even cross into the aspect of like, see, I, I like all this stuff. Like what if then the body becomes not as necessary if you have like downloadable consciousness and all this stuff and health becomes a, I, I don't know, this is very like out there, but like, <laughs> I mean, there are people who spend their lives researching this stuff. Yeah. Or they, you know, yeah. futurist or longevity based folks yeah. and stuff. I have so many questions about this stuff. It's yeah. crazy, you know. I mean, 
Uh, yeah, like we could also talk a long time about any of this. I think yes. long, I think with a lot of these sciences and like longevity, the metaverse, all of it, um, it seems closer than it actually is. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's not to say that we will never get there, but it's like if we're in control of like, what does humanity look like? Do we ever want to get to a place where we don't exist in a physical world? I don't know. Like, I mean, is it healthy from a, a human cultural, like an anthropology perspective? Mm -hmm. Is it healthy for humans to live forever, for a consciousness to live forever? Yeah. What does that do to the way that our societies no. evolve and develop? What does that do to government? Um, yeah. You know, this is the stuff of science fiction. Right. Like, you know, the foundation or yes. Uh, yes. like what is, what is that like ultra, ultra future of humanity yeah. look like? I Foundation's would argue good. that it, yeah, yeah. yeah. A genetic empire. That. They have, that's a big exactly. thing. There's a genetic empire. If you're just cloning the same emperor, <clears throat> the empire yeah. over, what does that mean? You know, like. What does that mean for a leader to live forever? Because people don't, really change their minds. They might, you know, it's their true. psychology might shift a little bit over time, but generally a person doesn't change very much over their entire life. Right. And so the way that change happens in our culture and in our society is generational. The next yeah. generation coming through thinks about the world differently. And that's how change happens. And if you take that away, like maybe we stagnate. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's this is like this is like the best stuff to talk about. I'm serious. It's like, yeah. Yeah. but I want to ask you. I don't know how much you look into this, but like Gen Z culture, what is their idea about health and wellness based off of what you've seen in your work? Besides yeah, the, the appointment times and stuff, you were saying, you know. Yeah, I um. So I'll I'll preface this by saying that I am a millennial. So anything that I say about Gen Z is like an outsider perspective sure. yeah <laughs> um but uh i will say so the trends that i see happening across the board but really driven by gen z is this idea of consumerization of healthcare like they are used to these consumer experience digital native experiences throughout their entire life and then you kind of experience healthcare and it's like this this heavy system with phones and faxes and I have to do things like it's not <laughs> a consumer <laughs> it's not a consumer experience yeah. um and so they gravitate towards and they demand things that live up to that consumer kind of experience and so we're seeing we we touched on it briefly but um this like transactional uh nature of of healthcare coupled with a consumerization of healthcare and the other thing that i'll say is that gen z is is hyper aware of um this like holistic health so how important yes. is mental health yes um like all the tools around like you know mental health and whole body care and uh you know and functional medicine really in a way like we've gone from having 
family doctor, one person taking care of everything to this really fragmented system full of specialists and specialists and point solutions. And, and they're great. Like they're providing a higher level of, of care, but it's super fragmented. And I think Gen Z is, and things like mental health are woefully right. forgotten and not oh, understood. Completely. Social determinants of health, like where a person lives, what access yep. do they have to food and all of these other things. And I think Gen Z is, has a strong sense that, um, health is bigger than just a doctor's visit that's right it's everything that is actually is very interesting and i had a guest on who their research is all about zip code health and it feels like we're learning that where you physically live is mattering more and more and more in our lifetime and now you're seeing a lot of mobility in people moving i actually think it's a good thing uh, because for so long, people's life span has been determined by their job or where their family grew up. And this actually may not be ideal at all for your health and wellness, like at all. And so I actually think this is an area of research that I'm very excited about because I think it will inform people to better like, OK, I like this place, but is it actually good for my health? Like yeah. overall health, mentally, physically, socially, spiritually, like making better decisions about where you actually grow up or live, I think is going to become more important, way more. Yeah, important. I completely agree. And zip code is really like they're looking at a whole bunch of factors that yeah. just like, uh, you know, that zip code, but um, hugely important and very um underrepresented in the way that we currently think about providing care for people. Yeah. Wow. This is unbelievable stuff. It really is. And uh, I love this. I can tell like you like deeply into this stuff and I am very deeply into this. I just think I like the possibilities. I'm curious about what you're up to. It made me very curious and um, it's just a pleasure. Yeah. Goes both ways. Um, I, like I say, there's so many things that uh, we could have dived deeper on, yeah. but um, at the end of the day, like, I'm just really, I'm, I, I'm optimistic that it has to change and it yes. has to get better. At the same time, I'm really cynical about the systems at play and yeah. the human condition and how that happens. And so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm mission driven in what we're doing to try yeah. and create that future. I'm, that's like a great way. Of, I feel like that's exactly my mentality. I'm optimistic, but man, yeah, a lot of a lot of skepticism <laughs> as well in the system. Yeah. So, uh, man, we're on the same trajectory, uh, same predictive tra trajectory <laughs> on that there. <laughs> Please tell all the wonderful people how they could connect with you, Estelle and your company. Yeah, so I'm on uh, social media, um, Estelle J. Giraud at on Twitter. We'll put the links in, mm. um, or on LinkedIn. Uh, feel free to follow me, and then Trellis Health if you're interested in what we're doing and want to follow along with that journey. It's my Trellis Health across all social platforms. Fantastic, Estelle. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs>